I'm a true champion. Tambi, you're fucking weird. I know yeah. I am. We're all weird in our own ways. Fuck yes, you, we Tambi. are. Yes, we are. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the State of Wrestling Address, brought to you by the Wrestle Plug Podcast. You might be watching on YouTube, you might be listening by wherever you get your podcast, but we thank you for joining us. I am the Egyptian death machine, Aaron Nix, the king of shithousery and the master of piss artistry. Joining me this week, back after a very small hiatus, of course, because we weren't here uh, last week, uh, is the wonderful man who puts wood in Bollywood, Tanvir Verdi. Always a pleasure, sir. Pleasure to have you, sir. And of course, joining us is the one half of Silent and a Death Machine. He's the silent portion of said podcast. You can check that out every single Wednesday on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. He is, of course, the masterful MC of Odyssey Pro Wrestling and the host of Coliseum Pro Wrestling. He is, of course, Silent Mark. Hello. Thank you for having oh. me again. Marvellous. Right, let's get to it. There's a little bit of news, a bit of a slow news week, so we'll basically inject our usual brand of bullshittery and fun in between the articles. Let's start with the fact that William Regal has pretty much been confirmed. He's on his way back to WWE. Very brief run in AEW. He only just helped MJF, of course, capture the AEW World Championship at their last pay-per-view, I believe, which was full gear. And then, of course, MJF turned on him on AEW television, hitting him with the brass knucks, and that's their way of writing him out. Uh, a lot of uh, rumours surrounding it, of course. Uh, the main reason, probably, because he wants to work with his son, Charlie Dempsey, who's now in NXT. Uh, William Regal going back to WWE. Good for WWE, obviously. Is it a hit for AEW? I I think so in a maturity wise because when because I remember ages ago when we were first talking about AEW that they needed that kind of buffer person to like micromanage things and to be okay so I think Re- William Regal would have very much been in that role and now he's gone it's it's going to be back to the norm of AEW of every week there's going to be a new signing and it's just going to be chaos absolutely you want someone like Regal who will put a good show together and get good storylines in. It's the reason why NXT UK was doing so well and NXT was doing so well was because he was behind it. When he left, it's kind of when it went downhill. Yeah, he definitely was a part of it. There was a, there's a number of people working on it. Shawn Michaels, I believe, headed up mm-hmm. NXT UK overall. But obviously, William Regal with the level of knowledge he has with the passion he has for the business and also the serious nature of who he is um you know he has a lot of credibility that goes beyond just being a good name in our business i do think it's bad for aw i think once again it's a, it's another loss um i don't think he's left because he hates aw or anything like that he's solely left because he wants to work you know wwe he's obviously very close friends with triple h a lot of people don't realize that triple h was actually uh alongside him uh, in his original run in WCW when they came out as the regal kind of kings of sorts, you know, the pomposity, the sort of like looking down everyone's noses with the robes and stuff like that. That's actually where Triple H kind of really first got notoriety on a mainstream wrestling platform. 
along um, with Terror Horizon, stating Hun- it. Yeah, Hunter Hearst Hems- Helmsley, right? When he was Wait, still... Well, yeah, that, that gimmick was spawned out of his time with Regal in WCW. That's what people don't remember about that. But obviously, he had an incredible part in the main NXT brand, especially much more so than NXT UK. He was the general manager on screen once Dusty Rhodes sadly passed away. He was, you know, he's infamous for war games and all these different things. But he really helped bring glue to that, product so i'm really hoping when he comes back that he will be used as the on-screen general manager again because i don't really have a very credible uh authority source that people like on nxt television right now even though nxt of course i mean deadline's coming up this weekend Um, there is the possibility we could see him at deadline i'm amazed that out of everybody it's like yeah william regal's so good but why they don't approach fit finley to be that kind of on-screen authority figure as well Finley's never been particularly strong on the mic, if you ask me. He's okay. That's true. I think one of the big things about Finley is that he's heading up training a lot of the women's division as well, and he's one of the main reasons why the women's evolution kicked off as well. No, not AEW's women apparently motivating WWE's women to be good. Shut the fuck up, Adam Wessex. Um, But it's one of those things where... Uh, it's it's good for business for WWE. It's another feather in their cap as they're building great storylines. They really feel like they've got their shit together right now. And AW, it's just another loss and it's another negative against a company that is really proving to be very frustrating at times. All jokes and you know vitriol aside, I want AW to put on a good product and they just seem to be making a lot of mistakes. Uh, case in point, you know the fallout from all out as they're calling it with the fights the backstage nonsense is it a work we'll see him punk come back we don't know if it is a work then they've done actually a fantastic job if it's not a work then they've done a horrible fucking job and it's been bad for business all round then of course the fact that ftr finally are getting their tag team title shot tonight against the sizzle daddy gang um the acclaimed defending the tag team titles against FTR finally tonight on Dynamite. Tanvir, do you see FTR capturing the AEW Tag Team Championships and completing the quadruple uh, nature of holding four different prominent tag team titles? I don't see it happening because I think the acclaimed are just too good right now and I reckon there's going to be shenanigans. I'll be like, oh yeah, FTR will come close but then shenanigans will happen. And it will lead FTR into the next year. It wouldn't be Aussie Open or anything appearing because World Tag League's still going on. So, um, but I, rec- I reckon there'll be some shenanigans from a different tag team or something. Can't can't pinpoint who as there's too many goddamn tag teams, but you some wait. Um, because I'm trying to think. I think um, this Saturday's final battle, ROH. Um. And with the uh, FTR being the tag team, the RIH tag team champions, I don't know if they have any challenges set up for final battle, but I reckon if the, the tag team that will face them at final battle will get involved in this match and then set out a challenge or something. Well, Mark, you, um, I don't know how much you know about AEW or what you watch of it, but FTR, you're aware of those guys and what they I'm do? I'm not, no. I've, ah. uh, I've not watched much AEW. Um, because nothing got me hooked. The only thing that really kind of pushed me towards it are people who I used to like in WWE going there. I, I don't care as much as I should. Although I do want to see... I'm, I keep calling a page. 
It's Soraya, isn't it? Yeah. Soraya, yeah, that's what Soraya. she's called. Yeah, because yeah. they use. I, I want to see her wrestle again, mm-hmm. um, which she has done. Has she done that yet? Uh, she wrestled Britt Baker, I think, yeah, last she month. Wrestled, she wrestled once in her return. I think she's wrestled since. I think it's yeah. going to be a, a very limited deal with her in terms of wrestling. I think you'll probably see her, arguably, you'll be lucky if you see her just only wrestling pay-per-views, I think. I'd be very surprised if they throw her out on Dynamite or Rampage every mm-hmm. week. Mm-hmm. Do you reckon she'll come back to WWE? I don't think so. No, I don't think so. I think she's very divisive, Paige slash Soraya. Um, she's very Marmite-like in a lot of people's eyes now. You either love her and cherish her for what she is, especially if you're British. A lot of people see her as kind of like the standout. But now you've got Jamie Hayter in that position as AEW Women's Champion. Um, I feel like she's now the prominent British women's wrestler. Yeah. And I think that Soraya's got a lot of work to do if she wants to catch up to her in terms of in-ring quality. And mm-hmm. I don't really think that is that good on the mic either. I know a lot of people think she's this incredible talker. I think she's very weak, actually. I mean, she's a bit whiny, a little bit screechy. Mm-hmm. You know, there's nothing wrong with that if it works to your gimmick. But there's so many things that come with her baggage, the Knight family, the film. You know, some of it's good, some of it's bad, obviously. Um, there's obviously toxic relationships with past wrestlers. Um, you know, drugs have been thrown around and all that kind of stuff. And not to mention, obviously, her lack of in-ring fitness and inability to wrestle for the most part. Yeah, she had a great match against Britt Baker, all things considered, but nothing spectacular. Um, I think that she would benefit. I mean, AEW need her anyway, and I know that I believe they've signed her to a three-year contract, so she's not going back anytime soon. It's going to be yeah. at least two and a half to three years before you see her on WWE television. One thing she does have going for her is she's still incredibly young. I think she's still only like 26, 27. So theoretically, she stays healthy and looks after mm-hmm. herself. Yeah, sure, you could see her maybe five, ten years down the line. Uh, if AEW collapses for whatever reason, God forbid, um, you know, she'll probably definitely end up back there, especially now that Vince is gone. But I don't know. I don't know. She, she reminds me of CM Punk. She's definitely got star power, but every single time she's in the news, more often than not, it's for something negative. It's never for something overly positive. And yeah. for that reason, if I'm WWE, I don't need her anyway. You've mm. got Bianca Belair, you've got Asuka, Io Sky, Becky Lynch, you know, the list goes on. Charlotte Flair's yet to come back from a hiatus. The the thing is, WWE Women's Division is fucking tremendous when you look at the talent they've got. Yeah. Um, The best in the world. Which, again, people would think even 10 years ago, they wouldn't be that invested. A a woman's match would be a filler rather than a main event. And I think it's fucking wonderful, that. Yeah. And and, and here's the thing as well, and I just want to shout out there, Bianca Belair, given the WWE schedule, able to get in shape for a bodybuilding competition. Fucking insane. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's she I mean she's always been in amazing shape anyway, but yeah, but, but to get astonishing. in like, to, yeah. to get into like bodybuilder competition shape on a WWE schedule while being the women's champ is goddamn like just mind blowing. That's what makes her, in my opinion, the best women's wrestler in the world. Yeah. She's she's fucking nice. Yeah, I'll be I'll be amazed if anyone picks anyone yeah. other than her at our end of year awards. I really will. Don't get me wrong; it'll be cool yeah. to hear arguments yeah. for other women. But it's for me, like, I think Bianca Belair has blown yeah. away the competition this year. It's it's like Io Shirai is or Io Sky is my is my favorite women's wrestler right now. But for for women's wrestler of the year, it's Bianca Belair. That's because you've got a hard on for Japanese, isn't it? Nah, I just. I, just, You've been just watching the moon- hentai again, haven't you? No, it's just, it's just the moonsault and how fluid she is in the ring and just oh, how, eff- how out effort- 
effortless effortless she's now thinking about her ass and that's all you can get <laughs> no. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sick and tired of you objectifying women on this podcast. No, dirty boy. Dirty, dirty, dirty boy. Dirty, dirty boy. Sorry, Dad. With that in uh, mind, Rhea Ripley. On a very yes, quick mate. side note, I can confirm that Tanvir has finally watched Blues Brothers. What did you think? Oh, loved it. I was I was messaging you like key moments. You're like, what are we talking about? And I was like, it's Blues Brothers. And he's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was great. I loved it. It's fucking nice. Yeah, yeah, it's it's amazing. It's it's like you said when listening to the cover, it's um when I was like, I just need to turn off it, and you just see the police cars one after another. I'm like, this just like, mm-hmm. oh, I just just add a couple more, just add a couple more, and add a couple more, and then that's it done. It's, for the longest time, the Guinness Book of World Records holder for the most cars involved in a car chase in cinematic uh, history. I, I, I loved know, it. Extra points for which film beat it? I forget you mentioned it before, but. I did know this. It's, it's not Expendables or something, right? It's G.I. Joe Cobra. That's it. Yeah. 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 So, you know, unfortunately, yeah. nobody's going to watch that. I, I, I also love their diner orders of like how Elwood's is just white toast, dry, mm. and then you have Jake with four fried chickens and a Coke. Like, that sums up their characters very well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, I've got a poster upstairs. Um, it's like a little, it's like a metal plate, you know, those really cool metallic posters you can yeah. get. And it's got them both sat at a bar with their orders. So it's yeah, just very nice. cool stuff like that. No, it's pretty awesome. Uh, we mentioned tag teams. I mean, the PWI 504 tag teams dropped this week. Uh, I think it came out Monday. Um, the team that topped this list now I should point out before we get into debates about it uh, the PWI list is semi kayfabe so what it's based upon is televised appearances win and loss record which of course plays into kayfabe um, quality of opponents title reigns everything else that goes with it so number one was the Uzos the undisputed WWE tag team champions number two were the triple A IWGP and Ring of Honor world tag team champions FTR uh, the Briscoe brothers were number three which I was very pleased to see Death Triangle interesting as a trio were number four uh, which I don't agree with um, Fukuaka Double Crazy which is Hazuki and Kaguma were number five. RK Bro were number six. Uh, seven was the Good Brothers, Luke Gallows and Carl Anderson. Number eight was the Young Bucks. Number nine was the Hex, Alison K yeah. and uh, Marty Bell, who, of course, uh, a stable of um, uh, NWA. And Violence is Forever, which is Kevin Koo and Dominic Garini, were number 10. Aussie Open were just picked out of the top 10. They were number 11 with the other two members of the United Empire, uh, Jeff Cobb and Great O'Khan at number 12. Street Profits 13, the only other women's notable women's um, tag team that were in there at number 14 were Toxic Attraction, and the list goes on and on and on and on. Sasha Banks and Naomi, interestingly, were number 19. Mm-hmm. Uh, do we think that they got it right having the Usos at number one? They're hot at the moment. Yeah. You can't not. Yeah. That, uh, off the top of my head from this current reign, I can't think of like any like notable, notable matches from off the top of my head but just for just for the storyline that they've been working incredible mm-hmm. most of their notable matches do involve uh the bloodline 
um, or they're not necessarily straight tag team matches. That being said, their match with RK Bro to unify the tag team titles was excellent. They've had incredible matches with the Street Profits, including at SummerSlam, I believe. Uh, the New Day, once again, they renewed that rivalry uh, mm-hmm. to basically capture the longest ever reign when they beat the New Day. The New Day were the final team that could have stopped them because obviously the New Day held the original reign. Um, I definitely think that their body of work as wrestling matches hasn't been as good as it was, say, maybe two years years ago two or three years ago when they really were lights out and destroying pretty much everybody and had that incredible initial rivalry with the new day including the hell in the cell match um but like you say the red heart and it's also it's down to televised appearances pwi were actually asked why ftr weren't number one because that caused a lot of outrage um with multitudes of people within and outside of the business uh they responded by saying that one of the main reasons they didn't get to number one is because they have not held the most prominent tag team titles that they actually have the chance to win ironically they have the chance to win them tonight the AEW world tag team titles do you think that's a good enough reason as to why ftr haven't been put on top if you're going on kayfabe and on things like that then yeah you know titles mean something you can't be the best tag team in the world if you can't win your own tag team titles, can you? Exactly. <clears throat> Plus, with all due respect, the Ring of Honor Tag Team Championships, the AAA R Tag Team Championships, and the IWGP Tag Team Championships do not have nearly as much prominence as the high-end North American titles like WWE and AEW. They just don't. Um, IWGP could be argued, but then how many times have they defended those belts over the past year? How many times twice. have they defended? Exactly, twice. That's not very good, is it? They use those have defended the tag team titles. It's Do, easy, easily see, double figures. Yeah, because FTR won the belts at Forbidden Door, which I think was back in June, July. And then they didn't have their first defense until Royal Quest, which was October 1st. So about a three-month gap between their title win and their first title defense. They've definitely had the best tag team title match of the year when they faced um, the, Briscoes. Uh, the Briscoes. That was easily, for me, the best match. That's my match of the year. Um, <clears throat> but at the oh, same time, we're not talking um, about one moment. We're talking about a body of work over an entire year. Yeah. And a lot of... Do, do you know what? People moaning about how they're not top. Maybe you want to have a look inside your own fucking greenhouse because it's AEW that booked them the way they do. And they've obviously booked them to be somewhat afterthoughts in a tag team division where they should be ludicrously prominent. It's like you've got your like three to four main tag teams there that you should build a division around. Lucha Brothers, FTR, Young Bucks and... um, one other tag team who I can't think of the top of my head, but it's just F- AEW with FTR since they've come in, they've they haven't really done a lot to kind of solidify, like yeah, these are these are our guys because it's mainly been Dax in singles matches for the most part. Yeah, I'm looking through the list. Um, the acclaimed are number twenty. That for me is massively a massive oversight. They've been one of the hottest tag teams predominantly throughout this entire Mm. year, and they've got very good body of work. Uh, Interestingly enough, Swerve and Our Glory are above them. Mm. Sasha Banks and Naomi being above them is somewhat insulting when you consider that they haven't been on TV for the best part of what, four or five months now? Yeah. So, you know, it's this is why you should really take this list with a pinch of salt. I will say one thing, number 35 of the Arrows of Hungary, which I'm incredibly pleased with. Oh, that's cool. 
Yeah, they're um, so two of my best friends and two people who are on this podcast. They gave a lot of time to me, uh, and I obviously spent quite a bit of time following them and Red Pro and when they were coming over here and working. Um, the main sort of British scene, as well as obviously Europe, they've had runs with WXW as well recently, where they were the WXW Tag Team Champions this year. Um, so yeah, no, it's nice to see them in there. And it's to be honest, when I look at lists like this, I don't try and get bogged down with who's who. Sunshine Machine are number 24, Chuck Mambo and TK Cooper. That's very exciting to me, you know, representing our country so well, doing incredible things for progress and Red Pro, amongst other things. They've been really branching out, wrestling in places like Denmark and stuff like that. So, you know, for me, that's more a triumph of how good wrestling is across the board, across the world, more so than us getting bogged down with, oh, it's either FTR or the Usos. Yeah, that's great. Like, to be honest, it's it's a list that doesn't really mean that much. Also, Kenny Omega took to Twitter to celebrate and said that the Usos were, you know, in his mind, uh, rightful winners and deserve to be winners. So, you know, about time Kenny Omega said something sensible. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, pretty much. Any other thoughts on it? Just looking for it now. And, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with it, to be honest. Pretty like... deadly, number 43. Oh, who's that? Oh, yeah, Pretty Deadly. Pretty Deadly, yeah, they're number 43. Um, the Guns are number 60, Violent by Design are 61. Oh. The OTT Tag Team Champions. Cool to see um, 62, cool. who uh, myself and Mark have obviously been on a show with, which is yeah. very cool. Cool to see a Stinger at 56, Ridgeway and uh, Yoshinori Ogawa. Yes, yeah, I can yeah. just imagine how fucking stiff those managers are, Jesus. Oh. Right. Um, earlier this year at Noah, I think they did Chris Ridgway v um, Katsuhiko Nakajima. Fucking the kicks in that were they were like killing each other. It's just basically more combat, isn't it? Let's be honest. Pretty much. It pretty much was. Oh yeah. yeah. There's there's some interesting ones here. You know, the Bollywood boys are in there at 95. Oh, okay. Creed uh, Brothers 77. Yeah, Milk Chocolate is a great name for a tag team, by the way, for Brandon Rock, uh, Brandon Watson. <laughs> I just saw that. <laughs> yeah, big fans of those boys. Uh, a team, actually, that stands out to me is um, Atra Pasuenos, Dolce Gudinia, uh, Espiritu Negro, and Ray Kameta, who obviously wrestle in Mexico. They're just fucking phenomenal, those guys. If you want to see true, great trios, um, high-octane matches, they're definitely ones you need to check oh. out. That's a cool uh, number 74 Commonwealth connection, Doug Williams and uh, Harry Smith. Yeah. I mean, when you look down the list, it's, it's a who's who of wrestling still, you know? Yeah. And it's nice that there is a predominant amount of, um, well, not predominant, but there is a decent level of uh, women's wrestling tag teams in here as well. Not entirely sure whether it's a good idea to mix them in. Uh, by the way, the 0121, man like Darius and Dan Maloney are currently at 45 another real great advertisement for british independent wrestling so oh, look at number 46 i'm not going to comment on that <laughs> the twin towers kohei sato and shinji ishikawa why would you not want to comment on that neither of you are allowed to comment on that <laughs> are we implying that um india has offered its own level of culture to the land of uh, shall we say more explosive elements <laughs> it's just brown I mean, Delhi Belly. He's brown. <laughs> ah, spoken like a true northerner, ladies and gentlemen. Oh. Wonderful stuff. 
Bussy. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Indeed. Right. Well, you mentioned Ring of Honor uh, final battle. Uh, there are only five matches on tap as we currently speak. But, of course, Dynamite is tonight. So, we'll have a very, very quick look at it and offer up what we think may happen or our quick uh, um, predictions. I have to say, I actually really like the look of the card as it stands mm. right now. Swerve in our glory. Swerve Strickland and Keith Lee will face Shane Taylor and J.D. Griffey in a straight-up tag team match. Uh, I don't know who J.D. Griffey is. But this just screams big meaty hoss fight between Keith Lee and Shane Taylor. Yeah, Keith Lee and Shane Taylor would be a great tag team by themselves. They, to be they, they were a tag team, I think, like six, seven years ago, because I think um, Shane Taylor even referenced it of saying, like, yeah, years ago we were a tag team, and then you abandoned me for NXT. Yep, he, he went for the money. Absolutely. Any, uh, any choice there, Silent Mark? I don't know either. I don't know either of the teams, so no. I mean, I'd assume Swerve and Our Glory because they're the prominent tag team from AEW. They won the they AEW tag team titles this year. They're big names, aren't they? Uh, for the Ring of Honor World Television Championship, Juice Robinson challenges Samoa Joe. This screams like an old school NXT match. Yeah. Because and, it is an old school and, NXT match. Yeah. I'm going to stick with Samoa Joe, but I think Juice is going to have a good show. Yeah. I'd go the same on that. Yeah, I'd, I'd say Joe. I don't think it makes sense. Although Juice Robinson has all the capabilities and skills to be the television champion. Uh, Mercedes Martinez defends the Ring of Honor Women's World Championship against Athena, who obviously some people might recognise as Ember Moon from WWE NXT. Uh, do we see a title change there? I hope so. I, I, I genuinely do. adored her back in the day. When I she love was in bo- WWE, and I just wanted to carry on going further. I love both these women, but I'm going to go for Athena. Um, I mean, I, I, I don't, I mean, the Ring of Honor product is non-existent, really. It's AEW. That's what it is. Yeah. So for me, it's very difficult to sit here and sort of talk to the storylines as much because the storylines are embedded in AEW television because they, I don't think they have a weekly Ring of Honor show anymore, courtesy mm. of because Sinclair Broadcasting, because it was bought by Tony Khan. Mm. Uh, Daniel Garcia defends the Ring of Honor Pure Championship against Wheeler Utah. Hmm. I think this is their this is their third match, and I'm going to say Daniel Garcia to retain. I don't care if I'm being honest. That's fair. It'll be a banger match, but I get what you mean. It they're just really two care. great wrestlers. They don't offer anything other than, "Hey, we're really good at the wrestles." Neither of them are good promos. They don't really have gimmicks. Wheeler you as part of um, Blackpool Combat Club which is probably dead now, if we're being honest, um, especially now that Regal's going back to WWE because he was kind of the glue that held that together. And obviously with Moxley being dethroned as well. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I don't really give a shit. I'll say we the Utah just because I know that Tony Khan has a massive chubby for the guy. Uh, the main event as it stands right now is Chris Jericho defending the Ring of Honor World Championship against formerly Cesaro, now known as Claudio Castagnoli. If Castagnoli loses, he will have to join the Jericho Appreciation Society, which is that awful faction on AEW. Well, that'll happen then, won't it? I, I I hope Claudio wins because the thing is, this storyline has been going on for so fucking long and it's the one thing that Tony Khan needs to learn. You don't need to do such long-term storytelling with Jericho every single feud because it gets too fucking long and annoying and boring and no one cares. What do we think about the fact that the pay-per-view takes place the same 
time as WWE NXT's deadline, which we're about to preview, and UFC 282. Is that good or bad for business? Terrible bad, idea. Bad, bad. Especially with it being UFC 282. Yeah. Let me see. I want to get a card for UFC 282 quick. See who's fine. Uh, UFC 282 is headlined by Blackovitz and Ankalaev for the World uh, Light Heavyweight Championship. I mean, you've got Paddy Pimblay on the card as well. Oh, he's fucking shit. Oh, I love that guy. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, I, I mean, I, I'm not, I don't profess to be a pretty big UFC fan. Same I'm one of neither. these. I'm one of these marks who jumps in and watches Conor McGregor or whatever, but unless it's a high-end fighter, I, I don't really pay much attention. Um, I'll probably watch Paddy's fight and that'll be it. But it's that thing of it does have a very big market, particularly in the United States. I believe it's taking place in the United States. Yep, it's in Paradise, Nevada, United States at the T-Mobile Arena. Um, so, yeah, it's... Um, yeah. And, what do you say? Bad, I, yeah. I personally think it's bad for business. Um, yes, it's awful for business. And the, and the thing is, as well, with NXT, it's got the Iron Survivor. So that's going to make things feel fresh and people are going to have their eyes on that. So... It's like, why should I really care about Final Battle when I've seen Daniel Garcia v. Wheeler U or I've seen Chris Jericho v. Claudio Castagnoli? There's only like two matches that stand out to me right now. And it's Samoa Joe v. Juice Robinson and uh, Mercedes Martinez v. Athena. Yeah, and also I think that WWE NXT's card is a better card. Uh, and let's not forget, a lot of WWE and wrestling fans in general do watch UFC because UFC is really lent on the sports entertainment stuff a lot more. You know, their mm -hmm. fighters tend to engage in a lot more backstage nonsense and promos, Conor McGregor. You know, it's long gone is the pure art of fighting. And Ring of Honor advertises itself as, you know, more pure wrestling than anything as opposed to storylines. So for the casual fan who wants to see entertainment-based stuff, Ring of Honor comes in at a very strong, uh, a very weak, shall we say, third place behind the other two, as far as I'm concerned. Um, so it's not something I'll probably check out. I just don't have the time. And most of us aren't going to watch all of it. So we're going to cherry pick what we want to watch. And like you say, NXT has the draw of a brand new match type. It has stars that are a little bit more credible. And also it is legitimately a, I know it's part of WWE, but it is legitimately a well-built storyline based wrestling show, as opposed to ring of honor, which the, is essentially now a feeder the, program for AEW. The other thing as well that I think NXT will have over final battle is the length because NXT is usually only two, two and a half hours long, two and a half hours long. Final Battle, I reckon, will be one of the usual like, AEW things where it'll go on for far too long, like four hours. Because like you said, we've still got a Dynamite and a Rampage to get through. So there's probably going to be like a few more matches added. It'll be not being far too long. Touching on something that Sana Mark mentioned earlier, apparently we're not allowed to talk about the Twin Towers. However, Mustafa <laughs> Ali rather prominently mentioned 9-11 this week. Um, did he? Yes, he did. Monday oh. afternoon, Ali posted a video to Twitter explaining why the United States Championship means so much to him. Uh, some people might recognise that he's been embroiled as kind of like the bitch of the United States title scene, getting walloped around by Lashley and Rollins and Theory, amongst others. He also wrestled Theory this week on Raw. Uh, in it, he acknowledged that over the past few weeks, the crowd reaction to him has not been boisterous, with some fans possibly giving up on him in WWE due to his booking the past few years, a major factor in him asking for his release from the company earlier in the year. Yeah. Following that, Ali, who was a Pakistani-American, called back to a moment in his classroom from 9-11, one of the darkest days in American history, when a series of terrorist attacks
acts against the United States left thousands dead. The teachers thought it would be best to let the students talk and express their emotions, Ali said. I remember raising my hand and saying, I can't believe this happened to us. The kid in front of me turns around and says, us? What are you talking about? Your people did this. I looked around at the class. I looked at the teacher. I was hoping someone would say something to help me or defend me. No one said anything. Despite being born here in this country, despite being an American, I'm not American enough. To me, the United States Championship means I belong. What do you think about that? I think it's just a great promo. That is a good promo. It's a big fucking conversation. It is a big conversation. It's one that I've had many times. It's It's the one thing that I like with Ali in that the thing is, he adds like a realism in his promos and it's like he's not talking, he's talking like at you and letting you know, like he's telling you a story. Mm. Yeah. So I think that that's a really good story. And I think um, if anything, I don't think, I think what will happen is come Royal Rumble, because they usually do it. I think Ali will eliminate Austin Theory to kind, to kind of have that big moment of like, hey, he eliminated the US champ. Like that's a big deal. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's fair enough. Um, swinging right back to Ring of Honor again as we kind of jump around on these oh. tangents. Uh, Tony Khan mentioned Ring of Honor on the Battleground podcast. Uh, he was asked to discuss what uh, he thought of people's opinions that there was too much Ring of Honor featured on AEW television. One thing I've tried to do, I think we only have three hours of AEW TV a week, so I've tried to limit... What do you mean you think? You must know that. Uh, so I've tried to limit the Ring of Honor focus on Dynamite to the Ring of Jericho Khan set. I saw somebody saying they thought there was too much Ring of Honor and Dynamite, and I thought that was amusing because there's almost no Ring of Honor and Dynamite in recent weeks except Chris Jericho, and frankly, Chris Jericho should be on any wrestling show in the world he wants to be on. Khan announced that he purchased Ring of Honor in March of this year. Um, the AEW boss said that in recent weeks, he's instead tried to keep Ring of Honor mostly confined to Rampage. On on Rampage, excuse me, we have had a variety of Ring of Honor wrestlers and its new wrestlers for AEW fans. And I think that's going to be good for our business because these pay-per-view shows Ring of Honor has done have been really successful for us. We've made good money and the grosses of those shows have been in line for what I paid for the entire business. So I would say it's been a very successful relaunch. Tanvir, do you agree with that statement? Nope, because they don't have a TV deal and there's too many people signed. And the thing is, you've got, you're having Samoa Joe on Dynamite, you're having um, Daniel Garcia as well, FTR. So to Tony Khan saying, oh, he's not featuring ROH a lot on Dynamite, you're featuring about four of the champs on 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 the on the program. And every now and again, you have Ian Riccoboni on commentary and he's the ROH commentator. So for, for Tony Khan to say there's not a lot of ROH on Dynamite, I think is quite idiotic. Quite disingenuous, if you ask me. I think he's just flat out lying, um, yeah. which is, you know, we all can see the product for ourselves. Uh, Simon Mark, do you think with Ring of Honor not having its own TV deal on a weekly TV show, do you think he's kind of in a box where he's not really got any choice? He has to, if he's going to have Ring of Honor pay-per-views, he's got to have them featured somewhere. So in some ways, he's kind of in a catch-22. If he's going to make them money, he needs to make people care about Ring of Honor. And to get people to care about Ring of Honor, they need to see it in the wider world. It's what you need. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a very good argument because it's one of those things where he's he's lying, basically, on the mm. podcast. But at the same time, he could easily come out and say, well, where else am I going to put them? Yeah. Um, they have to be on TV to be prominent to a certain degree until we can sort out a TV deal. Um, 
if if I was him, I would get rid of one of the AEW darks or elevation, yeah. make Ring of Honor a weekly TV show. I was just I was just gonna say that, like get rid, money. Of, get rid of dark and dark yeah. elevation and just put RH on the they average about half a million to a million views, depending on who they have on it. So if they actually turned it into a full-on Ring of Honor-style television product, hire out a small hall or, you know, somewhere a little bit, you know, less kind of vibrant and explosive and massive, because Ring of Honor is just on its own not going to sell 16,000 tickets weekly. It's just not. It's not going to have audiences like Raw or SmackDown or Dynamite. Um, have it in a smaller arena, like an NXT performance center-sized uh, arena, and just record it every week on YouTube because the bottom line is I don't need to see 15 random indie talents, even if I like them or I've covered them on the WrestlePlug, which has been the case. We saw Connor Mills, for instance, the um, UK wrestler. He was on AW Dark. Uh, so was um, uh, the, oh, I forgot his name now, the Irish lad from our OTT. Um, uh, LJ McClear, LJ Cleary, that's the one. I yeah, you've that. interviewed him, haven't you? I have interviewed him, yeah. So it's quite <laughs> shameful that I don't remember. Um, lovely guy, <laughs> obviously. Obviously, left the lasting for it. No, I love LJ Cleary, he's wonderful. Uh, mm-hmm. part of, of course, uh, more than hype, who were awesome in OTT, sadly now split up. Um, yeah, no, I, I like you say, I just think for, uh, nobody, I, nobody who really cares about wrestling cares about elevation or dark. So, you know what, use that. Because that would be would, far cooler. Would Would you say, in terms of a smaller venue, if they were going to do an ROH, why not use Daly's place? Would you think I mean, Daly's place would be an appropriate size for like an ROH? Or I mean, it's a good basis. The problem is that obviously, if you're not uh, one of the AEW-based Ring of Honor talents, it's going to be a lot more fat yeah. business for you to travel. But then Tony Khan has also proved that he has access to unlimited money, essentially, and is happy to throw it at the company. So he probably doesn't give a shit. But like he's come out and said on this interview, one of the lines that was really prominent to me was that the grossing money that they're making off a Ring of Honor pay-per-views is in line with what he paid. I can't believe for a second they're making huge sums of money from those pay-per-views. So he must not have paid a great deal for Ring of Honor as an overall product. That's what stands out to me. Any final thoughts? He sounds like a dick. Yeah. 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 Do you know what? It comes across as, I think it's one of these things where he's probably a nice guy, but he's not a wrestling guy. And that's not necessarily always a bad thing because a lot of people who work in wrestling are assholes, myself included. But it's that thing of, you know, I would take you more seriously if you didn't look like a petulant child playing with all these shiny toys all the time. That's kind of how it comes across. He reminds me of that Future Armor episode where that alien captures the Star Trek cast and forces them into like death games and stupid games. He's like, Mom, I'm playing with my collectibles. That's kind of how it feels with Tony Khan. He feels like a petulant twat. There's one or two of those in the UK as well, to be honest. Yes, there is, yeah. He, he reminds me of Andy in Toy Story 2 when he throws in the, in like the dream sequence where he's throwing away a uh, Woody and he's like I don't want to play with you anymore he's like oh I've got this new shiny toy buy old toy and it's just rinse and repeat every week it feels and in this analogy Woody is CM Punk <laughs> and the new toy is AR Fox because they just signed him <laughs> I mean he had a great match with Samoa Joe last week but it's that thing of AR Fox is not going to draw you a massive amount of money ever like he's just not there's nothing against AR Fox I love him I would you know, give my left testicles to record AR Fox or work with him on shows, but 
you know, that's that's a selfish thing. That's a marked thing. That's a solely from a fandom thing. If I'm looking from a casual fan's aspect, I'm not going to put AR Fox on my marquee when I have Samoa Joe and Chris Jericho and John Moxley and MJF. You're just not going to do that. Um, sadly, a bit of bad news, unfortunately. Uh, the legendary referee Mills Lane passed away uh, this week at the age of 85. His son, Tommy, told the Reno Gazette Journal that his father passed away from being in hospice for the last week. Born in Georgia in 1937, Lane began his career in boxing as a fighter, starting while serving in the Marine Corps and later going 10-1 and as a professional. Lane would almost even compete for the United States in the 1960 Olympics, though he was ultimately eliminated in the semifinals of the Olympic trials. He would last fight in 1967 before going on to officiate his first boxing match in 1971. Though he officiated several major fights in his career, Lane is best remembered for refereeing the second fight between Evander Holyfield and Mike Tyson in 97. That sequel encounter famously saw Tyson bite Holyfield's ear. Uh, Not once, but twice, forcing Lane himself, who was a replacement referee for that fight, to disqualify Tyson. Lane would continue to referee for one more year before retiring. He was inducted into the International Boxing Hall of Fame in 2013. He would also transition to television. Many will probably recognize him most as the Judge Mills Lane character on the MTV cult hit series Celebrity Deathmatch, utilizing his catchphrase, let's get it on, and appearing alongside WWE legends Stone Cold Steve Austin and Mick Foley. Uh, Lane became arguably the de facto face of the show. He'd appear as part of the show until its first run ended in 2002. Uh, During that time, Mills would also make two wrestling appearances, uh, WWE in November 98, and then later in WCW in 99, where he officiated a boxing match between Roddy Piper and Buff Bagwell. Rest in peace, the legendary Mills Lane. Any uh, any thoughts or memories on the great legend himself? Um, didn't know much of him. Never been a huge boxing fan, but that iconic voice from Celebrity Deathmatch. That's good too. Yeah. Just, just amazing, truly amazing. Mm. Also, fun little side fact: when we were just an audio podcast, I used to have the celebrity deathmatch closing theme uh, to close the podcast because it just fucking nice. kicked ass. So, yeah, um, just bloody awesome, bloody bloody awesome, and a great memory of my childhood was watching uh, celebrity deathmatch with uh, Mills Lane himself, who was such a prominent part of that and such an entertaining individual in a multitude of different things that he did. Uh, right nxt deadline is this weekend we've had a quick look at ring of honor final battle we know that ufc is going down of course we don't cover mma on this podcast because we just don't care enough so we have five matches on tap we'll start with a singles match between alba fire formerly known as kaylee ray and the outrageously sexy isla dawn who do we have winning this match? This, I do believe, is Isla Dawn's first prominent match in NXT uh, since the NXT UK brand was disbanded. Um, Did you just Google who Isla Dawn is? <laughs> no, I'm just looking at because I recognise some of the names, so I thought, yeah, I'd go for it. Um, Ray, very prominent over here. She was the longest reigning NXT UK Women's Champion, also obviously well, very well been- regarded for ICW in Scotland. I think she's wrestled up in Morecambe, I think. Yeah, she has. Um, yeah, she's she was tremendous, absolutely amazing. Um, just because I think of how fucking amazing she is. Uh, although Isla Dawn looks like she could kick shit out of her as well, so, you know. Um, 
I'll go for Alba Fire. I think pull an upset. Uh, I'm going to go with. Uh, I mean, Alba Fire wouldn't be an upset. Isla Dawn for me would be the upset, um, just because she's only just come in. But that being said, Isla Dawn is fucking incredible. I'm going to go with Isla Dawn because she's only just arrived. It wouldn't make sense for her to immediately job out to Alba Fire. The NXT Tag Team Championships will be on the line in easily the marquee match of the night. Pretty Deadly's Elton Prince and Kit Wilson defend their titles against Kofi Kingston and Xavier Woods. The New Day. Pretty Deadly. Yeah. Pretty Deadly. To get them over as an even more prominent tag team. But then who's... This will be a really good advertisement for how good they can be on Raw Mm. or SmackDown. Is that all this is now? So they've kind of the main shows have given up with New Day and they're just going, yeah, let's put them and well, get all the teams over. I think it was two or three weeks ago they lost the really prominent match against the Usos. If they beat yeah. them, they would have stopped the you know the famous tag team run. Now the Usos hold the record for the longest ever tag team title reign in WWE history. I think this is a good kind of stopgap for them until they can work out what they want them to do next. Mm. Um, The problem with unifying the tag belts, of course, means that, well, one, it makes the tag team belts more prominent because ultimately there's only one set of tag team titles available for male wrestlers to go after in WWE's main roster, which is good. Um, But then at the same time, it also means that wrestling tag teams like the New Day, if they're not involved in a rivalry with or going after the number one contendership for the tag titles, it kind of leaves them wandering around, not really knowing what to do. Um, potentially maybe waiting for Big E to come back, who I think will probably return at the Royal Rumble. That's my prediction. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, from a one-match standalone booking, this is fucking amazing. Yeah. Um, but from a long-term storytelling perspective, it doesn't really mean anything. Um, but I do think Pretty Deadly will retain. Yeah. It should be uh, a banger. Yeah, absolutely. A singles well, match. I would watch. I would watch New Day fucking wrestle a paper bag. I think they're fucking amazing. Yeah. So a- any match there is going to be great. Yeah, one of the most prominent and spectacular tag teams of the modern era. Um, Bron Breaker will defend the NXT Championship against Apollo Cruz. Uh, I just want to say I loved the Diner segment on NXT last week. I Have really, I really loved that segment. What was just, that segment? It was just Apollo Crews in a diner order, um, ordering food, and then I think Bron walked up, and they were basically just having a conversation, like just two athletes, like rivals, just one-to-one. Were they trying to mimic the famous scene between De Niro and Pacino from Heat? Is that what they were trying to go for? I, it felt like it, yeah. Or was it more Harry Met Sally? <laughs> no, no, no. It was, it was definitely more Heat, but it was... It, yeah, it Crews was, just it, sat there pretending to have an orgasm. Yeah. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was a nice segment. I really enjoyed it. Uh, it's going to be Bron Breaker, though. Yeah? Yeah. That's fair enough. Um, so that leaves two highly prominent brand new matches. So we have a women's and a men's Iron Survivor match. Um, I need to find the rules for these because I'm not entirely clued up myself. I've got, I've got the rules. Go for it, mate. Go on then. Okay. So there's... Two wrestlers start the match, and every five minutes, another wrestler enters until all five participants are present, so a bit like War Games. After the last wrestler enters, there is a predetermined time limit, which I think they said is like 25 minutes or something. 25 minutes, yeah. Well, that's a long match, isn't it? Then each time a wrestler scores a pinfall submission or being the victim of a disqualification, they gain a point. 
A wrestler who is pinned, submitted, or, dis- or is disqualified goes into a penalty box for 90 seconds. Mm. The, the, winner of each, the winner of the match is the wrestler who scores the most points at the end of the time limit, and then the winners become the, the uh, number one contenders. So, like you've said before, very much like TNA's King of the Mountain match in yeah. premise, to a certain degree, at least, it but was, there's no ladder, obviously. It was cool until I read about the penalty box, because I thought, okay, that's pretty cool, and then each time someone scores a pinfall or submission, they get a point, and then at the end, whoever gets the most points wins. I'm like, okay, that's cool. Then as soon as I read about the penalty box, I'm like, that kind of ruins it. <laughs> For me, it sounds very over-convoluted. And something that might confuse a casual fan who might potentially watch it. Mm. It feels like it's very much something like, obviously, we can't really tell until we actually see it in action to see whether it works or not. But my sort of my principle, for instance, War Games might sound convoluted, but it's actually quite simple. Each guy comes in every three or four minutes until everybody's in the ring, and then we start the match, and whoever gets the pinfall wins for their team. Simple as that. Whereas with this, it's like, okay, so every five minutes, another person joins. So that's 15 minutes where, where until you've got all five people in the ring. Then you've got another 25 minutes of wrestling, um, and you're going to do this twice. So I've got to think this pay-per-view is probably going to go quite long compared to what it normally does. I think your argument of it going two and a half hours might go out the window because it looks like each match is going to take up, including entrances and build, you're looking at close to an hour for each match. Yeah. Good or bad for business? I think, like we were saying, like I was saying the other week, when we were talking about, uh, you know, us in the UK getting pay-per-views, I said that it would be a good idea to have something that stood out this would be the type of match that could stand out in a in in a show like this it might be i think it's a good idea to have it on the nxt show you might not get the you know royal rumble numbers but you're still going to get an amount of people and they'll be able to tell you whether it's good or not and then you can start building up in your next shows both matches are for number one contenderships mm-hmm. for the titles. They're not for the belts themselves. Yeah. Do you think that diminishes the idea of brand new match concepts, Lily? Particularly when you consider that the NXT Women's Championship is not being defended at all on this show, but there will be a number one contenders match for it. Um, I don't think it does because one thing that's always annoyed me is these big matches to get the belts. I don't know why, but it's always pissed me off of just like huge matches to get the belt. And unless it's a belt that hasn't got a champion yet, Mm. I can kind of understand that bit. Mm. But otherwise it's, you know, I I think having a handicap match with loads of people is either going to go one of two ways, obviously. But it depends who the name is at that point. And I think that's the reason it pisses me off. Because, you know, back when Bobby Lashley was fucking doing everything, if he was in a handicap match, he'd fucking win. You'd know that before you went in. Whereas these matches to decide a, you know, number one contender, that gives a bit more weight behind it. 
Well, for the NXT Women's Championship number one contendership, the Women's Iron Survivor Challenge will feature Zoe Stark, Cora Jade, Roxanne Perez, Kiana James, and Indy Hartwell. Um, I mean, admittedly, NXT, the idea of NXT is not necessarily to see high-branded, high-end marquee names. It's to build them for the main roster, so to speak. So it is some form of developmental, even though it is still a televised product. Who is most likely for you going to come out as the number one contender for the NXT Women's Championship? I'll get this one to Tamvia because I don't know any of the names. I'm going to say Indy Hartwell. I've got Roxanne Perez. It's, it's between one of them because Cora, Cora Jade's a heel, right? A bad person. Yes, yeah, she's a bad person. Yeah. <laughs> she's a heel. I love how you put the definition next to it. That, I heel, knew that one. Bad you person. Yeah. Just because I don't know much about wrestling, I know what a heel is. No, it's, it's because of like William Regal's is like just things you put down and how he hates the world heel. I'm like, yeah, bad person. Well, yeah. I mean, it's it's just ingrained in the culture of what. Yeah, wrestling. that's that's the thing. You know. Yeah, um, yeah I, I think Roxanne Perez. I loved her match with. Uh, Rhea Ripley and also she made an appearance on Smackdown in a six women's tag team match recently and just they gave her so much time it was a really good example of how to make somebody look like a star who's not a star yet it really stood out to me she has the potential to be the next big thing in terms of plucky underdog baby faces you know she's she's very likable she's very cute she's a little bit shorter in stature but she's got great physicality the match with Cora Jade which was a weapons match of sorts of street fight at Halloween Havoc really showed that she had a lot more than just being a plucky underdog she also could tap into that more ferocious nature and bring a little bit more violence to the scene I think that she's ready to uh, take on so and also she's the perfect opponent for the current NXT Women's Champion Mandy Rose this absolute blonde bombshell the pinnacle of what many people see a pinup woman to look like. So Roxanne Perez is the perfect antithesis of that. This cute underdog. She's got the diversity as well, being of obviously Latin American descent. Um, she just has a lot going for her. And I think that she perfectly complements the much darker, much more menacing, much more obnoxious nature of what Mandy Rose is supposed to be, which is essentially a ludicrous supermodel who dominates not only with her physicality, but also uses her looks and her advantages with how she looks to get where she is in the company so for me from a storytelling perspective i think roxanne perez is the perfect opponent for her mm. uh, in the men's one a little bit more shall we say marquee heavier at least guys that might be slightly more recognizable to some although that being said still they've gone for some rather unique options here carmelo hayes jd mcdonough who people will recognize as jordan devlin for the uk indie scene and of course uh, ott prominently as well as nxt uk grayson waller the australian joe gacy who some people are calling uh b-tech bray wyatt not to mention he looks like he could be kevin owens body double given the opportunity and Axe which I do believe is a kid from NXT UK, who is one of the most ludicrously talented wrestlers, but unfortunately has lost a lot of the ability to be a character because he's been stuck behind a whopping great mask. Uh, the gimmick with him being essentially that he is something out of the Matrix, a video game-esque character that flies around like absolutely crazy, doing crazy athletic things. Which one of these men is best suited to face the winner of Brom Breaker or Apollo Crews for the NXT Championship later down the line? 
I just so, like the look of the guy who looks like a Power Ranger. So then that one. Axiom. Axiom, yeah. yeah. I uh, I quickly looked through Bron Breaker's cage match thing of like all his previous matches. And I'm going to go with Carmelo Hayes. Yeah, he's already faced JD Madonna in a triple threat where JD Madonna also, um, the, the other individual, that was Ilya Dragunov. People will recognize him quite well. Prominent NXT UK champion, had the famous pair of matches with Volta um, before Volta became Gunter. Um, yeah, I, it's hard to argue that, to be honest. I don't think JD McDonough will win because he's already been in a triple threat, like I said. Grayson Waller is a fantastic, obnoxious gobshite of a heel. I don't feel like he's a marquee-level talent, though. Axiom is an incredible athlete, but literally, not, he doesn't talk. And when he does, it's very fleeting. Uh, he's not entertaining in the slightest from a character standpoint. All his entertainment comes from his wrestling. And if you're putting him on the marquee and you're saying, hey, here's the main event guy, you need somebody who can carry it. Uh, Joe Gacy has also faced Bron Breaker a couple of times as well, which leaves Carmelo Hayes, who is brilliant as the obnoxious kind of high-end baller kind of, you know, African-American character. It, he seems to fit the bill. It makes sense as well, because, I mean, he's just lost the North American title. So now it's like, okay, time to move on to the next step, which would be the main NXT belt. Yeah, it's a difficult thing, isn't it? Because... When you lose, so in my mind, I, if I see you lose the mid-card belt in this day and age, that says to me that you are not worthy of being in the main event. But then if you look at it from a historical perspective, the IC title, which was an incredibly prominent belt, Austin, The Rock, Triple H, they all had that belt before they had the heavyweight title. And the ironic thing is that they, you know, you've got to get rid of that belt to move on to the next belt. So what you need to do is make sure that they've had a prominent it's... run with it and feel strong before they drop it. For me, Carmelo Hayes has dropped the belt, the North American Championship, way too many times. So that's the one thing that makes me slightly uneasy is, it's... are the fans going to believe him as a credible threat to Bron Breaker, who is a monster? It's one of my favorite thing bringing up the mid-card belts. My favorite thing is um, option C and impact. I, I love option C of like, okay, I've had the X division title for so long. It's time to move on. But you don't you drop go. it, do you? You upgrade, don't you? Because yeah. what you're essentially saying is I'm so strong as the impact, um, you know, X division champion yeah. that I can cash that in for a title shot. Yeah. So that's their version of money in the bank. So that's different because I you're not it. dropping the belts per se. You're giving it up to move up another yeah. level. Yeah. I think, I think Carmelo Hayes, the uh, Bron Breaker will be a, be a good little, be, be a good feud. I think going ahead. Is Trick Williams still in his corner? I think so. Okay. Yeah, that, that might help as well because that gives, you know, a little bit more because obviously Bron Breaker from a size thing looks like he could snap all these guys in two. Um, but then it's also that thing of Carmelo Hayes is an incredible athlete. The, his gimmick is that he never misses twice, um, which isn't necessarily... All, I mean, you know, okay, great. Um, <laughs> but it's also that thing of if you've got Trick Williams at ringside, it kind of helps equalise the nature of the physicality going on there. So... Yeah, it, I mean that definitely. I mean, I'd like to see JD McDonough do more great things because I was such a huge fan of him on the Indies. Had the chance to work on shows alongside him, not obviously wrestling him, but working on the same shows as Ring Crew and stuff like that with him. And you know, he was always very, very good to me. I know he does come with, unfortunately, a lot of 
baggage uh, due to the speaking out movement. His name was mentioned in it, although there was no proof of what, you know, basically there was no evidence to suggest that, you know, that he had done anything that was suggested of him. So I guess, you know, it depends on where your morals and your ethical compass lies there. Um, but yeah, no, Carmelo Hayes looks like a, a decent bet. And to be honest, I feel like the NXT pay-per-view here, five matches, Definitely, definitely looks like a much more intriguing and interesting watch than Ring of Honor Final Battle, at least. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah. Any final thoughts on this pay-per-view? It'd be a good watch. It would be a good watch. I'm genuinely interested in the in the new match. Mm. I unfortunately won't be able to watch it live, but I'll watch it back, probably. Because I'm, I'm, I'm going to see something that Mark hates. <laughs> what, Lord of the Rings? I'm doing the Lord of the Rings extended editions marathon that day. Oh, mate. I, I love I love it. I'm sorry. I'm going to get a drink and leave you two to have a go at Dude, I mean, <laughs> if you wanted to waste your time. I love it so much. That it's, I think it's more because it's like I've gr- I grew up with Lord of the Rings and I just love it so much. So... So when so when you said you hated it and you gave and you gave your reasons, I'm like, that's fair enough. I can fully see that, which is like which is like fair. But I I love it near and dear to my heart. <laughs> you you're allowed, and, and and as I say, I've tried to watch it again, which is fair enough. I really have. Yeah, like like that that's the Fuck one thing me. that I'll like commend you on. Of like, at least you tried. Like you didn't just like offer it, which is like fair enough. Hey, you gave it a shot. You didn't like you didn't like it. Fair fair enough. One one thing I will say about it is I don't think it's as bad as Avatar. Uh, <laughs> because at least with Lord of the Rings, there is story behind the walking and the nice vi- visuals. Whereas Avatar is just nice visuals. Yeah. It's and I don't like what James Cameron said about Way of the Water because people are saying about like if they need to go for the pee break. He's like he basically what he was saying is I hope people go for a piss so then they buy another ticket to see the film, which is like no. You, it's why you do the Bollywood thing and you have a break halfway through. Because he's a bellend. Yeah. Unobtainium mate. <laughs> yes. Unobtainium. You're if all his thought and stuff went into the visuals of it. And then he started writing the script and went, oh, I can't think of... Unobtainium. Unobtainium. Are we talking about Avatar or Lord of the Rings? Avatar. Avatar. I was going to say, because Lord of the Rings, like the original kind of books, I think are masterpieces. The, the original books are great. And that's why I say I, I prefer the story of Lord of the Rings. Yeah. And I appreciate the story of Lord of the Rings. Even though I find it as dull as playing with my that's, dingleberries, but that's fair enough. <laughs> I don't find playing with your dingleberries to be dull whatsoever. So maybe it's a self deprecation. Sloppy yeah. toppy. Sloppy toppy. <laughs> Marvelous. Marvelous. Well, we transition on rather well, there's no way of transitioning, you know, well to something like this. Uh, Richard Holiday reveals that he has been battling Hodgkin's lymphoma stage. Four people will recognize him as the MLW star and also somebody who recently faced Alex Hammerstone in the main event for the MLW championship. Just quickly, we wish Richard Holiday well and hopefully we'll see him recover in due course. Mm-hmm. Um, 
yeah, Richard Holloway, part, of course, of first-time ever events who I've worked for as a graphic designer and also have two very close friends in Jake Holliday and Franco Varga, who predominantly run that company, which is very, very cool. Time for some lists, boys, before we wrap things up. <clears throat> so I have a list here of the 12 top-ranked greatest heel turns in pro wrestling history. I appreciate that um, if you're not an encyclopedic legend like Carl Wilkinson, when it comes to wrestling, like yourself, Salamite, you may not necessarily recognize all of them, so I'm happy for you to just pass on them if you're not aware. What I want you guys to tell me is whether you think these are truly all-time great heel turns and whether they are deserving of being in the place of the greatest of all time in terms of heel turns. So we start with number 12, Tommaso Ciampa claiming his moment turning on Johnny Gargano at NXT TakeOver. It's up, it's up there because it was just because it was you had DIY the um, the revival and all their great moments and matches together, then facing each other in the cruiserweight classic as well. So all this build up and then for Champa to stab him in the back, it was like oh gee, like it 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 hit you in the heart if you'd followed NXT as much as I think a lot of people did then. So it, it's up there, and then it led to Champa not having a theme and then just having his entrance be the crowd booing, which was masterful. Yeah. Uh, have you seen it, Mark? Nope. Not a problem. We move on to number 11. Austin Idol betraying Jerry Lawler. I feel like this is going to be an obscure one for anyone who doesn't really watch old school AWA. Yeah. So basically in the American Wrestling Association, which is very famous for prominent stars like the Road Warriors, who were obviously known as Legion of Doom later down the line. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of great, great wrestlers went through it. Um, one such example of its high quality professional wrestling was the legendary blood feud between Jerry the King Lawler and Austin Idol. In the winter of 87, Idol would betray Lawler. He would follow up this shocking turn by claiming the AWA Southern Heavyweight Championship in the finals of a multi-man tournament. This newfound goal would place Idol back in the crosshairs of Lawler, who claimed the title that April in a brutal chain match. As nobody's seen it, it is a great heel turn. Check it out. It's very good, but um, obviously nobody's seen it. Uh, one for Tanvir, definitely here. Kevin Steen betraying El Generico Ooh, in Ring of Honor. <laughs> it's... It is great, and the fact that it's still going on to this day, and I think uh, Kevin Owens or Kevin Steen, he referenced it of like, uh, he doesn't blame Sami Zayn for turning on him because of the amount of times he's done it in the past. It is a masterful heel turn. Yeah, this is the first time that these two, you know, betrayed each other, Kevin Owens mm -hmm. and Sami Zayn on the Indies. It's definitely worth checking out, it really is. Uh, Prince Devitt forming the <gasps> Bullet Club. <gasps> Who, of course, so, we know as Finn Balor. So, obviously, so, the initial formation of the Bullet Club in New Japan Pro Wrestling, which was the first truly Gaijin heel mm, faction so, to really be prominent in Japanese wrestling. Yeah. So, this was awesome at the time because the thing is, you had Apollo 66, which was Taguchi and Devitt, and they were an amazing tag team, having great matches with the likes of the Golden Lovers, and um, I think Itaiji Ishimori and ACH having great matches. And then for Devitt to just turn on Taguchi like that. And then you have Carl Anderson, Toma Tonga, and then Bad Luck Farley come in. And then just uh, Devitt sitting on Farley's shoulders all the time. And the fact that Bullet Club's still going on nowadays, it's, it is a really like smart heel turn. And it's what I think put um, Prince Devitt in, in WWE's radar. 
because he was cutting masterful promos. He was great in the ring. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah great for branding. What do you think, Mark? Got a club for me? Deserves to be in there as one of the all-time great heel moments? I'd say so because it matters so much still now. You yeah. know? It's not it's not a fair weather thing. It's it still fucking matters. I mean, it also is probably one of the most prominent moments that has set up the rest of the historical impact of New Japan Pro Wrestling mm-hmm. in the Western civilization's eyes. Um, I think it brought a lot of people who didn't care about it or just thought, oh, that's Japanese wrestling, we don't watch that. And all of a sudden they were like, huh? That looks pretty cool. Let's have a look was, at that. The, the, the thing was with Bullet Club of when it first happened was that, oh, okay, it's a cool thing. Then when Devitt left to go to WWE, it was like, oh, okay. But then you had AJ Styles come in. Uh, to take over Bullet Club, and that got everybody on New Japan radar because, like, oh, AJ Styles is is there. Let's go watch him. Yeah, it's ingrained in the history of modern wrestling. It, to this day, you can go to any show and you will see a Bullet Club shirt. Any kind mm-hmm. of indie show, I'm sure Mark's probably even seen Bullet Club shirts at Odyssey. It's one of those things. At one point, it was the coolest thing to wear. It mm-hmm. was. It's like the Oakland Raiders cap. Um, you know, NWA made that prominent with Ice Cube, obviously. And it's one of those things where, yes, the Oakland Raiders have always had a very famous fan base in American football, but that transcended that. It went beyond just being yeah. a, you know, a fashion accessory for that. All of a sudden, very much like, um, you know, Dre's beats, the headphones and things like that. People see them on prominent individuals, characters. Same with trainers with Michael Jordan, obviously with the Air Jordans. The Bullet Club t-shirt is the equivalent of, the equivalent of that for professional wrestling. One that I thought might be higher, actually, and one that even Mark will probably recognise, is the breakup of the Rockers when Shawn Michaels superkicked Marty Jannetty and stuffed his head through the glass window mm-hmm. on the barbershop segment. Um, obviously an incredible moment. Nobody's mm-hmm. going to deny that. Do you, think it, do you think it should be higher? Depends what's further up. That's very yeah. true. It is well when you see what number seven is. I'm surprised that it wasn't higher than number seven at least. Number seven also involves Shawn Michaels being turned on by Chris Jericho in 2008. Uh, this angle also involved Chris Jericho accidentally punching Shawn Michaels' wife in the face, mm. um, which he actually legitimately did. He was meant oh, yeah. he was meant to be a kayfabe punch, and he legitimately gave her a back, Ooh, black good. eye. And Jericho, the story famously goes that Jericho was back. So this isn't actually written in. I've just remembered this from years and years of watching wrestling. Um, famously backstage, Jericho shitting his pants backstage, thinking, oh, shit, when Shawn Michaels comes, you're going to kick my fucking ass. And um, Shawn Michaels comes steaming through the curtain, like, I'm going to fucking kill you. Just gave my wife a black eye. And apparently... Um, Shawn Michaels' wife went, stop being a fucking pussy as professional wrestling and basically got him off the hook from it and took it like a fucking champ. That's so, pretty cool. There you go. Good. It was a great heel turn in the moment, but for me, I don't think it's a historic heel turn. I, I don't it's think it's sick. something it's that... It's not as important. No, it's, it's, it's yeah, it's in the moment, yeah. but for me, it has to be something that is true. Like, if I go up to a casual wrestling fan now and say, tell me the greatest bad guy turns of all times, and I'm pretty sure what I think number one's going to be involving the NWI, I'd be surprised if it's not, but it's that thing of, you know, and nobody's really yeah. going to mention that as one of the more prominent ones, even in the modern I era. Think, I feel like there's been better ones. Yeah, I, I think... Um... Sean Michaels turning um, doing the Rockers thing is still like one of the most shown clips on like TV every now and again. Yeah, they still show it all the time on WWE Network. Because it is is such a prolific moment. So I'd say it's it's up there as like maybe a number three. Number Number six, the mega powers explode, brother. Uh, Randy Savage and Hulk Hogan 
combust. <laughs> um, yeah, very famously, obviously, which led to, uh, you know, their famous title match at WrestleMania. But WrestleMania 4 would obviously be the coronation of Savage as the top guy with Hogan's help. He would successfully claim the WWF title. This would lead to a successful year-long run for Savage as a champion. Also teaming with Hogan as the mega powers. Things would take a turn, however, when Savage's manager, the lovely Miss Elizabeth, began escorting the Hulkster as well. And of course, Savage in real life was famously rather jealous of anyone going near his wife, rightfully so, when they're that beautiful, I guess. Um, and of course, this work played into the storyline very well, where Savage turned on Hogan due to jealousy. It is a good one, because it has the fight at the back. Is Elizabeth trying to like stop him? Yeah. It's historic. Again, it transcends wrestling. It's something that a lot of people remember, even non-wrestling fans. Yeah. That's how I gauge the all-time great moments of wrestling, how many people remember it. So, you know, pretty good. Number five is Stone Cold Steve Austin aligning himself with Vince McMahon at the end of WrestleMania 17, um, even though it wasn't a heel turn that good on the night, because unfortunately, WrestleMania 17 was in Texas, which meant that Stone Cold had about 95% of the crowd behind him. So even when he turned heel, um, Vince McMahon helped him win the WF Championship. The predominant portion it's, of the crowd was still going bananas for him. It's in his book, because I think he references that, and he even says it's one of his biggest regrets of doing that heel turn on yeah, that he night. That he wished he'd stunned him, didn't he, at the end? Yeah. And just walked away because it actually killed off his momentum um, yeah. as the true all-time babyface. From that point onwards, he never truly recaptured his position as the greatest wrestler in the world, I think. Mm. If anything, in some ways, it ended up being a passing of the torch and opened the window and the door for new talents. Um, the Rock was already fairly prominent at that point, but Triple H came bursting through at that point and became a really high-end star and Mick Foley. Building. Mick Foley. Mick Foley, to be fair, already had his run in 2000 for yeah. me. I think, um, you know, just two years later, we had Randy Orton on the roster. We had Batista, uh, The Undertaker, great things with Kane and Rey Mysterio came in yeah. a year later as well. Um, Brock Lesnar, Kurt Angle, all of these guys ascended to being the top guys after the fact. So it's in, in some ways, it's sad at the time because Austin should have always been the greatest fucking tweener of all time. But and he was. But yeah, no, it's um, it, it's, um... You know, it has opened the door for a lot of other. In in honor of Carl Anderson, I'll say his name, Goldberg. <laughs> the legend. Carl Anderson or Cameron Anderson? <laughs> Cameron Anderson, Jesus yeah, Christ. No, those are not related. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I can absolutely tell. Also, shout out to Cameron Anderson for his autistic like nature in our group chat. Uh, number four. <laughs> Is uh, Andre the Giant aligning himself with Bobby Heenan, rather famously turning here on this, of course, led to the famous matchup at WrestleMania 3 between Andre the Giant and Hulk Hogan, where Hulk Hogan rather famously lifted up Andre the Giant over his head and then farted on his face with his famous leg drop and won yeah. the WWF title Was back. The... 92,000 fans, <laughs> brother. <laughs> Was the heel turn on Piper's pit? I believe so, yes. Yeah, yeah. I was trying to think. I was like, is it the heel turn? I forgot. Yeah, that's that's a big one. Every single person that I've spoken to who watched uh, 
wrestling very prominently when they were younger, older people, all say that it was the most shocking moment for them. So mm. that in itself speaks volumes to it. I don't think it stood the test of time as well because Andre the Giant's run in WWF was pretty bad, actually. People go back and watch it. I know he was historic because he was huge and he was the first true giant of wrestling. But if you go back and watch his stuff in the 70s and early 80s, he was such a better worker and a better talent and even a better promo. He was really at the back end of his career and you could tell he could barely move at this point. You know, his he had the condition of giganticism, which is basically where your bones essentially outgrow your body, um, which is pretty fucking gnarly. And that sadly claimed his life later on. But um, yeah, he's, um, he's remembered as a larger than life character. But for me, the heel turn itself isn't remembered nearly as much as Hulk Hogan famously beating him for the title of WrestleMania 3. So... <laughs> Number three, Mr. McMahon screws Bret Hart at 1997 Survivor Series, probably the most Montreal. important in history because of what it led to. It was the birth of the Attitude Era. It was the birth of Vince McMahon as we know him now, the fucking lunatic monster. Um, some would argue this should be number one, yeah. but it's not. I'm amazed it's not number one because now that you've like mentioned it again, it's like, yeah, Montreal Screwjob is is like one of the most repeated moments in... Even I know that one. Yeah. It is a huge one. Brett screwed Brett. Brett. Mm. Famous. Um, For me, I would argue it's number one because it completely shifted the landscape Mm -hmm. of what wrestling is. However... It isn't, according to Wrestling Inc., at least, the number one heel turn. There's two left. Number two might surprise a few people, but I think it's prominent because of the modern era. It's when Seth Rollins turned on the shield and joined the authority. Yeah. I'll go with that because I remember watching it. Yeah, that was a a big one too. Yeah. The shield had been such a great run and beating Evolution. And then it's just, oh, they're, they're splitting now look at them though like even now like it's one of those things initially i looked at it and thought oh fuck off that's nowhere near top 10 for me but then i realized what it afforded wrestling after the fact mm-hmm. roman it's... reigns is now the most dominant wrestler of the modern yeah. era seth rollins is the most prominent character on raw john moxley has been a long-term yeah. and arguably the biggest face of AEW. so the yeah. three of those guys I'd... have done nothing but be successful I'd say that 2014, 2015 to 2016 run for Seth Rollins might be my favorite run as a as a wrestler. Oh, the in memory. Mm. I I love that run so much. Yeah. And number one, as I predicted, is obviously Hulk Hogan joining the NWO as the third man at WCW's, I believe Bash at the Beach, was it? Yeah, Bash at the Beach, 1996. Hulk Hogan forming the NWI alongside Kevin Nash and Scott Scott Hall, who were known as the Outsiders at the time. Um, The greatest baby face in wrestling history turning heel. Huge. Huge. Yeah, it is huge. Any uh, any ones missing there that you think uh, my honorary mention would be Mark Henry famously in the salmon jacket turning on John Cena uh, and becoming heel. I I know it's not the most prominent, but it, it was so well done. We thought he was giving his retirement speech. Everyone was crying, chanting "Thank you, Mark," and "You deserve it." Uh, John Cena puts the WWE title over his shoulder because he never yeah. won it. Famously, he won the World Heavyweight Championship, but never won the WWE title. And you know, everyone was like, "Oh, what a beautiful moment!" And then he just picks him up for the world's strongest it, slam yeah 
it's it's not prominent, but it brings up recent memory because of what it led to was Daniel Bryan doing the heel turn, the low blow on AJ Styles mm. to win the title because it led to the Planet's Champion. Yeah. So that was a surprising one. That was a surprise one. Yeah, no, there's there's some good ones, but it's a good list. Right, just to wrap things up briefly, any other business? Is there anything you guys would like to talk about? Unless, of course, you want another list. I do have another list here, or we can save it for next week. Save it for next week. Yeah, save, save it for next, next week. week. All right, then any other business, gentlemen? Save you having to get one. Christmas um, is coming up. What's so, this yeah. week's Christmas film? I, I mean, I only ever recognise one Christmas film as the all-time greatest Christmas film, and that is Home Alone. Home, uh, wrong home, answer. home Alone is up there. Really, I, is it wrong answer? If I, you say Elf, I will kick you off this podcast immediately. No, Elf is overrated in a piece of Elf shit. Elf is the most overrated Christmas film yeah. of all time. Uh, my go-to Christmas, Christmas Carol. I st- I'm not like a big like, Christmas film watcher, so I haven't really like, seen too many. Say the Muppets like, Christmas Carol. Yeah. Uh, Definitely top three, but I think Home Alone is better for me. Uh, what do we think about Die Hard being up there as one of the all-time great Christmas films? I've said this uh, all week on my radio show. Um, if people count, Love Actually is a Christmas film. Oh, they can get in the bin. Die Hard is a fucking Christmas film. Uh, I mean, Love Actually is a film based during Christmas. Yes. Uh, but it's like, it's. I just, I hate Love Actually. I think it's crap. I'll say. I, I haven't seen Love Actually. That's the thing. No, don't. Don't waste okay. your time. We we threatened you to watch Blues Brothers. We will not threaten you to watch that. No. Actually, like, do not do not waste your time. Okay. Um, <clears throat> um no. So yeah, did yeah. I as a Christmas film? Any yeah. film set at Christmas. Honorable mention for Christmas films: Krampus. Brilliant. Love okay. it. My Love Krampus. I, watch that. I don't uh, like horror films, so if I enjoyed it, it must have been. It was yeah. very funny, but you know, a little bit gory, but not over the top. I just thought it was a lot of fun and just popcorn bullshit, but it's yeah. actually really good. And I enjoy watching it over Christmas. I do. I like it. I, I watched Christmas with the Cranks on Monday. That was fun. Yeah. I'd say my go-to Christmas film, though, is The Grinch. I do love The Grinch. What, with Jim Carrey? Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. I didn't. That's no. fair enough. I, yeah, I didn't. I tried. Is that because he's done so many other films that are more famous, or is it just because it no. just doesn't hit with you as no. a person? It doesn't, it doesn't hit me. The newer version of The Grinch for me with Benedict Cumberbatch, the oh, animated okay. version. I can imagine that's excellent. I think that's a better version. Okay. There was, um, there's a newer, there was a Netflix Christmas film that came out a few years ago called uh, Klaus. That was good. Yes. Heartbreaking. Yeah. Properly beautiful film. I loved it. Um, I watched three on Saturday. I think I told you this the other day, Nick. Um, I watched uh, Black Christmas. I haven't seen that. Horror film. Um, They've done two remakes. There was the original back in the 70s, which was, people called it like one of the birth of the the slasher films. Mm -hmm. It's the the stereotypical line of, oh, they're calling from inside the house. That's where it came from. Um, Then I watched Shazam. Banger. Because, because it's a fucking Christmas film. Because what, the superhero movie? Huh? Yeah. Is it a Christmas? Oh, yeah, I suppose, yeah, because they go That's to that Christmas. Um, thing, don't they, and there's Christmas stuff going off. Yeah. I actually really like Shazam. I think it's really Shazam's good. Shazam's a lot of fun. A lot fucking of fun. great film. And then Better Watch Out. Haven't seen that either. I haven't heard of it. I urge you to watch Better Watch Out. I'm going to Google Doesn't it sound right like a Christmas film. Sounds uh, like something that I, um... would make children watch. But <laughs> On Monday, I watched an 80-year-old film, if you want to guess what it was. 
with 80-year-olds, mate. No, 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 it wasn't. Oh, no, well, it was just from no, no, he's so no, desperate it, to get away from the FBI's 10 most no, it, no, it's a, completely it's an the other end of the spectrum. It's an 80-year-old film. It's an, now, now I'm into something much older. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a film that came out in 1942 that I went and saw on Monday. Which is? Oh, Gone with the Wind, is it? <clears throat> Casablanca. Oh, classic. that's classic. Classic. Yeah, love. Yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed it. Really love yeah. it. But no, better watch out. Um, Set at Christmas and... A kid and his babysitter um, have people try and come uh, in the home. It's it, it's a ten out of ten already. It's got Patrick Warburton. It's got yeah. Gronk. Ten out of ten. That's all I'm going to say. Got all who? I'm going to say is that it's got Gronk. Who? What? Rob Gronkowski? No, it's uh, Patrick Warburton. I don't know who that is. Joe Swanson from Family Guy. Oh yes, now I do know who he is. Yeah, okay. and the Tick. Ah, I still have yet to watch the Tick. Um, the original was good. The newer version on Amazon that was really good. I'm a yeah. fucking pussy with. I don't know horrors films at all. They scare the shit out of me. It's, it's, not, it's, it's not a proper horror horror film. Oh, Mark, I um, I did something on your behalf because I listened to um, uh, Silent and the Deaf Machine. Get Out on Netflix, and I keep and I send it to Nick's. Watch Get right. Out. <laughs> yeah, so I watch Get Out. I need to watch that. I do like Us, his follow up film. Yeah. that is. Um, it scared the shite out of me, but it's one of my favourite horror films I've seen. The yeah. twist at the end is amazing. I love yeah. that. Um, I th- nope was really good this year, and I think nope I saw, was good. I saw a recent Twitter thread because I think when I initially saw it, I was like, okay, this is good. And then I saw a Twitter thread of like that done a deep dive into it, and I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, this film's really good. Now thinking yeah. back on it, what about really... Bad Santa? <laughs> no, again, Bad I think overrated Santa. for me. I, I action hero of a Christmas film. Uh, I don't know. Might I don't know. Be, I don't know if that's set at Christmas. Jingle all the way. Jingle all the way. Um, trying to think what other great. So we always watch the Harry Potter films over Christmas. Oh yeah. Do they classify as Harry Potter? Um, yeah, because some they, of them are they always Christmas, have a Christmas so, yeah. scene, but they're yeah. not Christmas films, if you know what I mean. But they always yeah, kind of. Have that. I'm gonna throw one out there because I I watched it at the beginning of this year and is that it is actually a really good Christmas film, Santa Slice. Is that what? the one with Goldberg? Yeah, it's that. really good. And yeah, I I asked fun. Cam because I think he was saying about going to see Violent Night, and I'm like, mm-hmm. Violent Night just really looks, say that. It just looks like Santa Slice, and he's like, uh, and Cam's gonna let me know what it. How about the like. awful cult classic Jack Frost? <laughs> <laughs> that's left is, Netflix. Is that during Christmas or is that just cold? <laughs> I can't remember if it's. I've only seen it the once. Is that the horror one or the one with my horror Kahn? one where he appears in the bath with um, oh, what's yeah. that name and it fucking essentially rapes her with a carrot? Yeah, yeah. this 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 the soul that flew into a snowman. Mm. Uh, Nightmare Before Christmas. I've got a theory about Nightmare Before Christmas. Have is you? it is it that all the Tim Burton films are linked? In a no. way, so it's okay. No, Nightmare Before Christmas is Tim Burton's cry for help. <laughs> okay, I want to listen to this now. I haven't seen Nightmare Before Christmas. So, oh, Nightmare Before Christmas is about Jack Skellington, who's like kind of the head of Halloween Land, um, finds himself in Christmas Land and he doesn't know what the fuck's going on, but he quite likes the idea of it. He likes the whole fluffiness of it. So, he goes back to Halloween Land and goes, Right we need to have Christmas. And everyone goes, oh, there's that to ruin it. And he goes, um, yeah, t- to ruin it. No, he just really wants it. That's Tim Burton. Okay. Tim Burton is sick or was sick of always being known as the dark person and didn't want to make any more 
dark stories and stuff, but people keep on expecting it of him. He's made Wednesday, right? And it's just dropped on Netflix. Yeah. Wednesday was good. I apparently, was yeah, yeah, like, yeah, apparently everyone I've spoken to said, I've seen, the only thing I've seen, because it was on the it, TikTok, was the dance scene where she's dancing with a guy. Uh, it had a bit of a slow start, to be honest, because I think I watched the first two TV episodes. Series, and I was like, okay. And then, I was hooked with the first one, to be honest. I, I like the first one. I think the thing that threw me, but by the t- but by the end of it, I got used to it, was seeing uh, Luis Guzman has um, Gomez. Gomez. That really threw me off initially. I'm like, that doesn't seem like everyone's good used costume. to the yeah. famous. We're all, we're all used to yeah, Raul the... Sylvia or Tim Curry. Yeah, yeah. Adam's family. Um, is it reunion? We don't talk about that one. Yeah, we don't talk about that one. Yeah, no, the original. Um, and Bison drawings of the Adams family. That's what I remember him as. And Bison. By the way, the Street Fighter movie. He's good. I don't it's, care. It's such an iconic I line. Love I love it. The Kylie de- Minogue is Cammy, looking hot the, as bollocks. The day, the day Come Bison, on. the day Come Bison, on, man. It's amazing. The day Bison graced her village was the great, was the greatest day of her life. For him, it was just a Tuesday. Play, um, e Honda. They should have got Yokozuna to play. It would have been amazing. He's spot on. They, yeah, I, I really like that. I love that film. It's stupid. It's so but it's really good. Fun. It's fun, you know? It makes you smile, that film. It's it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's Van Damme as yeah. guy that stands out to me because it's just the last person you'd expect to play him is a Belgian Sonic, fucking Sonic Boom! Sonic Boom! <laughs> I, like, I like it. I think it's great. And, and Bison it, makes it for me. He's amazing as the super villain. Absolutely amazing. He would have been incredible, that guy, uh, in modern Marvel films as a villain, yeah. I think. Oh, he I, really would. He, he would, would have been, been an awesome Doctor Doom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would have loved to have seen him as like a, you know, he would, have, yeah, Doctor Doom would be fucking awesome for him. I'd love to see him play. Uh, sadly, he won't now because he's passed yeah. on, bless him. But I just, uh, I, phenomenal, I, just phenomenal. I just, I just quote that M. Bison line so much. It's like, but for me, it was Tuesday. It's like, <laughs> it's just so cold of like, yeah, he did not give a yeah. fuck. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's so good. He's just looking, he goes, but for me, it was Tuesday. It's so good. I love it. It's fucking brilliant. I have a real hard on for old school uh, martial arts style action films anyway. I love Bloodsport. Bloodsport is one of my all time favorite films. I love Bloodsport. The I, film itself is crap. The fight scenes are amazing. I, I watched Bloodsport, I think, last year because I saw it was an Amazon Prime and you and you talked about it nonstop. So I'm like, let me watch it. Yeah. It this just got removed is... on Netflix a couple of months ago and I watched it about six times just to keep it it's fresh so in the memory. I just Chong-li, love it. Chongli, I love, love kickbox. Uh, that's fucking great. Uh, I love a lot of the. I love the Universal Soldier. Have you? Have you seen? Great. Have you seen the raid? No, uh, no. I you, want to. You'd love it. It's if been you, on my list for fucking it's ages. So good. And and it's the one thing that pissed me off about the Star Wars um, sequels because when they announced that they had the cast of the raid, they had the cast of the raid involved in the Star Wars sequels. I think mm. Force Awakens, and I was like, oh, there's going to be some badass fight scenes in this. Have you seen the... Universal Soldier 2 with Goldberg? No, I haven't. <laughs> I hate that guy. It's so Did... funny. It's, you... it's all about where, like, Jean-Claude Van Damme, basically, he's a uni soldier that is trying to kill Jean-Claude Van Damme, who is the only uni soldier that's somehow been converted back into being just a normal human. And um, Goldberg's trying to take him out in the most... He even to, spears um... a security guard. Like uh... To to hark to harken back to one of our old lists, Goldberg success in Hollywood. <laughs> I mean, he's in Longest Yard, and he's quite funny in that. 
Um, it, it depends on how you define a success. Has he made shitloads of money? No. Has he had roles that are fairly memorable? Uh, yes. Like you, so, depends you know, how you want to look at it. You know, one wrestler that I'm kind of gutted, but I saw him in a film recently that we left off. Great Carly. I saw him in Get Smart. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> he's him... also in a thing. Oh, yes. He's in Longest Yard because I saw him and get smart, and I'm like, wait, is that is that who I think it is? And I'm like, it's fucking great, Carly. And he's just as fucking wooden. Yeah, the only like literally <laughs> that big boot he gives Bob Sapp in um Longest Yard is arguably the greatest thing I've ever seen him do from an athletic standpoint. I, am, I, I just love the line in Get Smart when he's hugging Steve Crowley, he's like, she's such a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> There you go. Well, Christmas is definitely coming. We'll have to do some uh, uh, with our games nights that uh, people are probably aware of by now. We'll have to do some uh, uh, watch a film together on Discord or something. Just for yeah, a yeah. Watch some uh, yeah. games. That'd be a laugh. But I think we'll leave it there because I know that poor old Simon Mark needs to be in bed at a reasonable hour uh, and it is 10 to 11 right now. So I'm an old man. Yeah, we're all old. I'm a young boy. And Tanvir apparently is... No, you like young boys. <laughs> Happy days. <laughs> That's his no, new <laughs> The Granny Basher, Tanzir Verdi. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, it's good stuff. Soon to be on the anti-FBI top 10 most wanted list. I, um, I, I, I asked it to Kyle, but on Quiplash, seeing some of our answers, we need to ask each other, like, who hurt us that we got to this point? <laughs> All of us, we all hurt each other, mate. That's how it is. Uh, for anyone listening who's intrigued by the concept of WrestleBlood Games Night, we have a games night. Uh, we have it every Sunday and sometimes in midweek as well at 7 p.m. Um, we'll definitely do one this Sunday because there'll be no football on because the quarterfinals are on Friday and Saturday. Yes, very good. I'm not sure whether to be aroused or disturbed, to be honest. Also, you look suspiciously like Robbie Nitro behind me when you do that, uh, which is not a good thing. Well, not- Robbie Nitro sloppy toppy. <laughs> sloppy Toppy Nitro is that that should never ever mention Sloppy Toppy and Robbie Nitro in the same goddamn fucking sentence again, or I will personally have you flayed alive. You I got one of my own. I got one of my answers like and Quiplash Redley. <laughs> one of my answers and Quiplash. Unbelievable. But yeah, no, if anyone wants to join us with you know for all the uh, shits and giggles, we do a games night, we're gonna do movie watch alongs and just stuff to keep people entertained over Christmas because it's not always the happiest time for everybody. So if you want an escape from the uh, loneliness or the divisiveness of what Christmas is, we offer uh, a lot of fun and a lot of stuff to do outside of the podcast itself. So come and join us. Thank you very much to Tony Verdi and Simon Mark for joining me for the State of Wrestling Address this week. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me once again. Always a pleasure, sir. Absolutely a pleasure. I've been Aaron Nix. Thank you very much for watching, ladies and gentlemen. If you do want to catch up with me at a wrestling show, I'll be at Rumble Wrestling on December the 27th. Uh, they'll be in Kemsley in Kent. It's going to be a fantastic card. We have, I believe, Danny Black and Tate Mayfair is in the house. There will be a rematch for the toll. I do believe that uh, Tate Mayfair will be pulling double duty at that show and will be facing not only Danny Black, but also Sid Manelli in a blindfold match, which would be fantastic for everyone involved. Um, I might be at Rise Underground December the 17th. It depends on train strikes right now, so I can't confirm as to whether that will be the case or not. But if uh, it does go ahead, I will be at that one as well. And then hopefully I'll be back at Rise in January. If you want to check out Silent Mark at Odyssey Pro Wrestling, I believe their next show is on February the 4th. Yes. What's and that? our last show, Panic Stations, is now on our Patreon. Oh, Patreon.com nice. forward slash Odyssey Pro Wrestling. 
Yeah, you can watch all of Odyssey Pro Wrestling shows £3 a month on Patreon. So I highly recommend you check that out. Some wonderful talents, including Progress Wrestling, Stars, uh, Alexis Falcons on there, RPD, number of great, great talents off. For some reason, that triggered my uh, Amazon Echo for no apparent reason. <laughs> Just got excited by it. I mean, don't we all get excited by Alexis Falcon, let's be honest. Um, but yeah, uh, for and obviously Tanvir Verde, if you want to find him, he'll just be on the internet and at random cinemas watching extremely long Hollywood blockbusters like Lord I'll, of the Rings. I'll be I'll be watching Avatar in a few weeks and I'll regret it. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what? I've only watched Avatar once, and that was when I went to see it in the cinema in yeah. 3D, which, by the way, hurt my neck because I was in the front row. wasn't that great an experience watching it in 3D. Um, yeah, just feels like a film that yeah. is literally just for CGI. But that's for another day, ladies and gentlemen. Like I've said, I've been Aaron Nix. He's been Tammy Verdi. He's been Silent Mark. And we'll catch you very soon for more content from The Wrestle Plug. Uh, uh, you, sir. <laughs> oh. Oh. oh, yeah. Yeah, sorry. Get out of there. Get out of there. No. Stop that shit. Stop that. Stop sexualizing Robbie Nitro. Unacceptable. <laughs> Unacceptable. Get out. Out now. Dirty boy. Dirty I'm boy. Sorry, I'm sorry. Dirty about. boy. Do your room. Yeah, t-shirt. I'm in my room. It says I'm a very dirty boy. Don't clean your room.